And the title of today's message is No Partiality, No Partiality. Um, last time uh, we talked about a devout soldier. Uh, his name was, uh, oh my goodness, Cornelius. I was blanking there. Cornelius, and he was a centurion of the Roman government. But he was a devout man, a godly man. He had a vision. Uh, Peter had a vision. Uh, God gave Peter some orders. God gave Cornelius some orders. Uh, the vision was about the sheet coming down from heaven. Uh, and that well, the thing is that God is cleansed. Peter, our man, really should not call unclean. And we saw the devotion of these people uh, around them. Uh, this time we're going to see answered prayer. God's favor. God's favor. And that the gospel goes out to all people. We're going to see something that God had been kind of alluding to the whole time, and we'll look at some scriptures uh, God had been prophesying about, uh, but that really the Jewish people didn't quite get at this time. Uh, but the gospel begins to go out to all people. And how does this happen? Uh, through the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but a couple of questions as we get into our study this morning. Um, really, who decides what's right and wrong? Um, and that's in all things, for your own life, for society. Maybe it's the judges, maybe it's lawyers, I don't know. Maybe it's... Uh, corporations, whoever, whoever is paying the bills, maybe they decide what's right and wrong at your job. You know, if the boss thinks it's right, then it's right. You know, if the boss thinks it's wrong, then it's wrong. Maybe that's the way things go these days. But with what criteria do we use to follow a law, to agree with it, or to make one at home or at work or in the world society? You know, what cr criteria do you use to say, oh, well, I'm going to obey this law, or I can kind of skirt this one, or, um, or even in your own house with your kids, you know, what criteria do you use to say, this is bedtime, this is what you can watch on TV. This is what's for dinner or what's not for dinner. Uh, but when God says something or he does something, does he mean it? Does he mean it? I think we all would say our, you know, our, our quick answer uh, would be yes. You know, I, I think um, I remember kids coming out of Sunday school or junior hires and we'd say, so what did you learn today? Or what did you learn at youth group? Kind of being serious with the kids, but kind of, you know, adjusting a little bit with the middle schoolers. Maybe like Jesus. What did you learn about today, Jesus? And I think that would kind of be our own answer if, if we were to answer that. When God says something, does he mean it? We would say, yes, of course. But I think sometimes when we read what he has to say, we don't really quite pick up that he really means what he's saying sometimes. And I think that's more, more us than anything, probably more myself. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 1.13a says, is Christ divided? Is Christ divided? Now, they were talking about division of the church over who there was apostle of. Paul, you know, discipled me and baptized me. Peter did this to me and Apollos and all these other guys. And they were beginning to have arguments about, you know, whose pastor was better and whose faction, so to speak, of the church was better. And we do that today. But really, is Christ divided? On a grander scale, um, is there any that God would not want to show his favor to? Uh, are there any uh, people groups or people that God wouldn't want to reach? And, you know, again, our whole answer, our first answer, our Sunday school Jesus answer would be, no, of course not, um, as Bible-believing be, uh, believers. Um, but on a deeper level, are there people who we don't want to go to? Are there people we don't want to reach out to? Maybe certain friends of ours who go, oh, maybe I just don't want to share with them, or neighbors or coworkers. Uh, maybe it's more people groups or classes, such as homeless, the friendless, you know, that guy at the lunch table who doesn't have any friends. Maybe it's because they're liberal, or maybe it's because they're conservative. Maybe it's because they're rich or they're poor. You go, oh, I don't want to talk to them. Maybe it's because they're ugly or beautiful or not approachable in those ways. And I don't think that any of us overtly classify people into these groups where we wouldn't want to go to them. I think we see that in more uh, carnal areas. 
But I think sometimes if we were to take our hearts and really be honest with the thoughts and feelings that we have, you know, myself, even this past week, um, it was kind of hitting me like all these things. You know, it's funny how as we get into the study, God begins to work in my own life, these things that we have to teach. I'm like, Lord, I never want to teach through Job. You know, let's just teach the nice books. Um, but really, if God is not partial, why are we? Why are we? You know, again, I'm not saying that any of you in here really is partial per se or even to the point of racist or sexist or classist or anything like that. But really, if God means what he says, where he says that God is not partial, and that's the word of God, that really means that God is not partial, that God does not play favorites with anyone. He doesn't have a favorite son or a favorite daughter. Um, um, You know, and I think on the flip side of that, uh, when we think of guys like Billy Graham or Chuck Smith or any of these uh, mighty men of God, we go, oh, he's, he's really God's favorite, and, and God probably loves Billy Graham more than I do, and more than he loves me, rather, and that's really not true. That's really not true. Uh, but Father, we ask that this morning, uh, again, God, that you would speak to us in the Word and, and show us what you really mean and, and how you really say it, and uh, God, would you help us to... Uh, God, we just give you any partiality or judgment, judgmentalism or anything like that that we have in our hearts that, God, we hold against anyone. Help us not to be afraid or ashamed, but to freely give your gospel to everyone and your love. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 24. And it says, The following day they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for, I asked them, what reason, for what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon a Tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. And we'll stop there for right now. Uh, Caesarea, again, uh, Caesarea was a city by the sea. Um, I think there's probably even a golf club there now, if I remember correctly. Um, But Peter was in Joppa, a city, uh, I guess it's about, if I remember correctly, about 30 miles south of there. Um, He was given a vision of uh, the sheet to rise, Peter, kill, and eat. He was staying at this man's house. If you remember in the last chapter, he was brought out there, shared the gospel, um, did some uh, work of the Lord out there, and he was invited to stay for a while. But he's given this vision that comes down out of heaven and has all the unclean animals on it. It happens three times. You know, Peter tends to need to hear things three times, like I think we do too. He didn't quite get it. He was kind of hungry. He wasn't really sure what it meant. And at the same time, these men show up at the door that Cornelius had sent. And uh, Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He was a very powerful uh, military guy. Uh, he was probably pretty wealthy. He had people who worked for him, soldiers who worked for him. Um, a very interesting man. Um, but he was a devout man. And uh, 
God gave him a vision. He sends the people there uh, to pick up Peter again. I don't know what you would do if your boss came to you and said, hey, an angel just showed up to me in a vision and told, told me to tell you to go down to Virginia and get this guy on Main Street and bring him back here. I don't know um, what I would say to that. But again, Cornelius, uh, what a man. What a man, this man, Cornelius. Uh, and I think that as, in this preparation for Peter come, in this preparation from his prayer and his fasting and this vision um, that his prayers were going to be answered, um, what does he do? He calls his close friends and relatives. He gets them all to come over to the house and wait for this man, Peter, to show up with his guard, with his uh, military men and his servants. And they came. These people came. They showed up. You know, they said, hey, I've got someone special coming over to the house tomorrow. I want you guys to hear what he has to say. Would you guys please come over? And again, if we remember about Cornelius, he was a devout man. It said this entire household was devout. And I don't know if that means that they were all um, seeking God the same way he was, but they at least respected uh, the God that he, that he had his faith in. That was the Jewish God. Um, but really on holidays, uh, as we have Thanksgiving coming up in a couple weeks and Christmas, and then we go into the new year and there's that long stretch, and then there's Easter and you know all these things that come about. Do we witness? Do we witness? I don't mean that you show up ding-dong at your uncle's door with your Bible out and you begin to, to do the whole way of the master before you've even gotten in the house. You know, have you ever lied? You know, have you ever stolen something? You don't know. Um, but really, do we witness? When the opportunity comes up with our family and friends, do we share? You know, even to the point of what did you do last weekend? Well, I went to church or I went and I watched this awesome Bible study. You know, I think sometimes it's hard to do those things where we're guarded and reserved on purpose around holidays because arguments tend to flare up. Um, but even more so with our lives and with our words even, that the way we speak, the way our lives are an example, is that a witness to people? Um, you know, I had someone say to me recently that they, they like my Sundays, the fact that I, you know, that I rest and that there's these other things. And again, it's not that I have this law that I have to rest. You know, in fact, yesterday I did most of my resting and today I'm going to take care of some, you know, Saturday chores this afternoon. Um, but really that it was that this just this pattern in our lives of, hey, we're going to spend time with family, we're going to relax and recharge for the week, and not that it was this whole spiritual resting, I'm not going to turn on a light switch sort of Jewish law deal, but that, man, we would just have this way. You know, do our lives and do our words really invite people to Jesus? You know, as the Bible says, that our words always be seasoned with grace, you know, that it might be grace to the hearers. But do we invite that for those friends and family to church? And this isn't, again, a guilt trip. You know, we can't necessarily invite everyone. I remember working in New Jersey, and yeah, there, if there were some people who were kind of up in the area sometimes. I'd invite them to, my, to the church I was at. Um, but I wasn't going to invite everyone to church. I mean, that's kind of, you know, not really practical for them to come, you know. Um, but do we invite our friends and family to church? And, and if we do, or if we, if we did, would they even come? Would they come, you know, even just to humor us? Oh, okay, you know, you're a nice guy. I'll, I'll come with you. Um, and even if they don't, that's not always a reflection of us. I find that sometimes when we share with people or we invite someone to come to a church event or an outreach that the church is doing because we care about them and praying for them, sometimes they're just going to flat out say no. And that's not necessarily you're my fault. Um, but I think sometimes uh, maybe we, maybe they would if, if our lives were more of a witness to them. Um, and again, that's not a condemnation. That's not a guilt trip. I think it's just sometimes we need to be honest and kind of, man, let me consider how, how I'm living. But this man Cornelius was well-loved, but he well-loved those around him because he feared God, because he was a, a devout man. And Proverbs 18.24 says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think sometimes we go, man, why well, don't I have any friends? And the Bible just practically says to us, well, how friendly are you? 
you know, if you come into a new job or a new setting or a new neighborhood and you're just walking around all the time, you're probably not going to make any friends. They're going to think, who's this angry dude who moved in around the corner? Um, but 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22 says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And what Paul's saying here is not the way some people would twist it and say, oh, that means I can go out and do whatever I want to try and win the loss. I'm going to go out and get drunk, get high, do this, do that. No, that's not what it says. But that man, when someone's going through a hard time, we would go through it with them. That If someone is caught up in laws and rituals that we wouldn't sit there as they're bound in their law and flaunt our freedom from that law. Okay, they, they, let's say they didn't want to eat meat. You're not going to sit there and get 10 steaks when you go out to lunch with them. Maybe get a salad. I don't know. It doesn't mean they have to always eat salad, but... Silly example, but I think that, man, when we reach out to people, we don't need to come up to them with this difference that's in our life. We need to come up to them, reach out, and find some touch point, find some way to relate. Um, you know, I was on this uh, business trip Thursday, and um, we had to go up to New Jersey to meet with a client and have these meetings all afternoon, and we got stuck in traffic, and we had dinner and all stuff, and uh, a couple guys I work with, and it was just fun just to talk with them and joke with them, and they went out, and they wanted to have a couple beers and have dinner, so I went out and had dinner with them. I didn't have any beer. I don't drink. But it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't I sit there like, I don't drink. I'm not going to sit here with you. You want to tell me how good the beer is? I'm sure I'll listen, you know, whatever. Um, you know, I'm not condoning it because they weren't doing anything really wrong per se, but I wasn't partaking. But I hope that these things, the point of these things is that, yeah, I want to be friends with them, quote unquote, but I want to have the right, I want to earn the right to speak into their lives when the time has come. And I've had opportunities uh, to share with uh, one of them so far and I hope that more come up um, or that I bring it up more. But really, if we want friends, we really have to be friendly with people. Um, we can't just beat them over the head with the Bible or beat them over the head with our judgments. Um, doesn't mean that we're not going to share with them the truth or not be honest or not say it like it is. But uh, I think sometimes, uh, you know, at least when you first get saved, maybe you have this kind of aversion or against the world. And uh, maybe you don't want to be as friendly with them as uh, we could be. Uh, but really, we need to meet them where they are. We need to meet them where they are. That's what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, come up here and I'll teach you something. He came as a baby. But it says that when Peter showed up, Cornelius, this Roman man, worshipped him. And he was a very powerful Roman uh, soldier, more kind of like a general you might think of these days. Um, and it's interesting that this, this man is bowing down to Peter. But we're going to see a few more instances of this in Acts. You know, I think Cornelius had the right heart, the right motive. He wasn't yet a believer. He believed in the Jewish God and the Jewish scriptures, and he was devout, but he didn't yet know Jesus. And I think when he did bow down to Peter and try to worship him, it wasn't the right thing to do. Peter tells him to get up. But I think that it, maybe his heart was in the right place. Man, I've been seeking God. God sends this man to me. There's got to be an answer here. And we'll see later in Acts that as the apostles go out and do these works, people begin to worship them. Because they think you're Zeus and Apollo and all these things that, that aren't righteous and aren't good motives. Um, you know, a lot of times people will butter you up um, for the wrong motives. You know, people at work maybe will begin to compliment you because they want you to do something that they don't want to do. Or they want to get you to go and do something that's maybe not quite right. Um, but I don't think that was Cornelius here. And Peter says to him, I myself am also a man. Cornelius gets down and is worshiping Peter when he shows up. Peter says, get up. I myself am also a man. 
You see that in the Bible. Anytime there's a real servant of God and someone begins to put worship on the servant of God rather than on God, the real servant of God says, get up, stop. No, 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 that's not the case. Um, I think that that's great because that means that Peter had a real perspective of who he was, even though God was working through him. Peter didn't get all puffed up, even though people were getting saved left and right. He was now a father of the church. He had been one who failed Jesus, and now Jesus is using greatly. Um, and yet he, he's, he still knows who Jesus is and still is not willing to be worshipped. And you probably wouldn't catch a lot of powerful, influential, and important people doing that today. You know, who would say, hey, don't worship me, worship Jesus. Uh, I think you probably would find the opposite. Um, you know, all sorts of examples in pop culture, but that I won't uh, give mention to here. But, you know, I'm talking about so-called people in the church even that would receive worship, would receive praise, kiss my ring, you know, buy me a jet. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see Peter doing that here. You know, Peter could have said, well, now I'm here. Where's my speaking engagement fee? Oh, yeah, it's uh, 100 denarii or whatever. But I think we can take away from this that we must always remember that we are just men, that we are just people. Um, you know, that saying, I tried to find out where it was from, but there's no, there's no real concise story of who actually said it first. There's a rumor about who said it, but really that, but for the grace of God, there go I. You know, to remember in ourselves that you or I could go down any road at any moment in our lives if it wasn't for the grace of God. You know, we see someone who maybe fails in ministry. We see somebody who maybe is homeless on the side of the street. We see somebody who's maybe caught up in, in all sorts of wild living. And we go, man, sometimes we judge them. Sometimes we're partial and go, I would never do that. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you wouldn't. Or maybe you would. Maybe your heart is in that place. And I think that that's what's important to remember is that, man, we could be any one of these people. If it wasn't for the grace of God, we could make the same silly decisions that everyone else made. We can make the same decisions that maybe even our parents made that we realize are wrong. You know, maybe even before the Lord, we realized, hey, I was going the wrong way, and it was the Lord who got me, and it was only by the grace of God that we stand here. And, and I know that it's only by the grace of God that I stand here before you guys today. And I hope that I'm always remembering that. You know, 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know, God always gives us a way out of that temptation, but man, anything that we go through is common to everybody. The stuff that you and I struggle with is common to everybody. Maybe you struggle with something more and someone else struggles in it, but the fact that we all have the same struggles because we're all people, not, not any one of us is better off morally or righteously on our own than anyone else. It's only Jesus who lives in us, and we'll see Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who gives us power to resist those things. <clears throat> you know, and I think when we've been walking with the Lord for a while, that we tend to sometimes maybe get a little off track and think, oh, I've been a Christian a year, 10 years, 20 years. Oh, I wouldn't do that anymore. I begin to forget where we came from, and I think that ties into how we relate to the people that are around us. I think that ties into when we forget, man, I used to be an addict or I used to be a workaholic or I used to be whatever, whatever it was that we used to be before Jesus. And we encounter someone else in that. We go, man, if, if we remember that it's only the grace of God that got us out of that, I think we tend to be more compassionate with those people. Again, we are saved and we are God's special people. I don't want this to detract from the fact that, yeah, you and I are special in God's sight, but our blessings come from God. You know, our blessings come from God. We don't need other people to bless us. 
we don't need to receive a blessing from someone like Cornelius, some rich, powerful man in the region. Peter maybe could have gotten a better job. Peter could have gotten maybe a better house. Maybe he would have gotten a get-out-of-jail-free card because the Romans were in control of the region. But Peter said, no, man, get up. I'm just a man, just like you are. Just like you are. Peter, in a sense, also didn't respect this man's position more than he thought. You know, Sometimes when the boss comes around, we all get, because oh, it's the boss. And, you know, really, and yeah, we should respect our bosses. But on the other hand, it's like, we're just a person like you or I. We're not going to be disrespectful. We're going to respect the position. But we don't need to be a different person. We see here that many, many had come together. Many who had come together. You know, imagine that after being out hungry for lunch the other day on the rooftop, God gives you a vision. These guys show up out of nowhere said, God gave them a vision to come get you. And you go back and you walk in to come meet this man. And you walk into a room. Imagine you walked in here and there's a room of 100 people, 200 people, 1,000 people. I don't know how they fit, but imagine it. And you walk in the room and you're the one who has to give the talk. You're the one who's there to say something, and they're all there uh, to hear from you. And I think many of us today would want to prepare. And I think we should. You know, I prepare for this message. I'd like to, to spend more time preparing for messages in the future. You know, I would, I would hate to come and not be prepared to share with you guys. I mean, there's been a situation in my life when, that, when that's happened and God's moved. But, man, it's, it's better when we have time to prepare. But really, I think sometimes God likes to put us in situations like that where we just naturally have to expose the truth we believe. And it has to be by His Spirit. It's by His Spirit. You know, this wasn't a Sunday service. This wasn't something that was billed, you know, come, come to church on Sunday at 9 a.m. and the Apostle Peter is going to share a message out of the Bible. Is Peter come share something with us. Um, but sometimes we just need to speak the truth from our hearts, per se, as God would, would have it come out of us. You know, sometimes when... The reason why we don't share sometimes with people, I think, or at least myself, is that you know, what am I going to say? What am I going to answer to this? What if they ask this? What if they ask that? I'm going to go down this path of having this whole conversation with a person you haven't even said anything yet. Um, but really, I think that reminds us that we need to depend on God's Spirit. That maybe we didn't have time to prepare. Maybe we did prepare. Maybe God has something else in mind. There's been several times when I prepared and I thought it was an excellent message, and it probably was. But I've gotten up there before the youth group, before the church. And just sense, man, God wants me to share something totally different with you guys. And I've had to flip somewhere else. And maybe it wasn't the best exegetical study ever, but man, God had moved through those times. Um, and not that any of my studies are probably the best of that. But, but imagine that. Imagine that. That God is doing this. Peter thinks he's coming to talk to one man. And this man has now brought many people to hear God's word. And verse 28 says, uh, Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is. For a Jewish man to keep company with, uh, with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. And it's great that God had revealed to Peter what it meant. If we remember uh, earlier in the chapter that Peter was kind of, I don't know, what does this mean? <laughs> Even when they showed up at the door, he's like, what are you here for? You know, sort of making sure that everything was correct. But this is a big deal for a devout Jewish man. You know, remember Peter said, no, Lord, I'm not going to eat that. I've never eaten that. I've never eaten unclean food. Um, but the fact that this Jewish man not only walks away with non-Jewish people keeping fellowship with them, he says it's very unlawful. You know how unlawful this is. This isn't like a little law. This is a big law. You know, if they were to hang out with Gentiles or touch a Gentile even in certain circumstances, they would be defiled. Um, but he was a devout Jewish man. And, and now that God had revealed this to him, 
along the way. Maybe it, it finally got through Peter and he realized that, man, you know, this, this vision is really about people and it's not about eating food. Um, but he realized that the believing in the Messiah was the fulfillment of Judaism, that his faith in Jesus meant that, man, that God was going to bring him through the law in a sense and reveal to him the true purpose of the law. You know, again, he says, you know how unlawful it is that this was, this was a big deal for him even to go there, let alone keep company with these people. And it's interesting that something that he had practiced and believed his whole life uh, was, he was now finding out it was just a picture of something that God wanted to do, that God's plan and purpose for people was bigger than the law. It was bigger than a set of rules to follow. This whole idea of, okay, yeah, I can't be around the Gentiles, they're dogs. <laughs> He's realizing this whole clean food, unclean food, really was just a picture of something to come. You know, Colossians 2, 13 through 17 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substances of Christ. Paul is saying that, man, some people are still trying to go back to this Judaism, and they're trying to get you to be under this law, but they don't realize that these rules and regulations are just a shadow. They're just a picture of Jesus. They're a picture of heaven. They're a picture of a relationship with God. It's not these things that give us a relationship with God, but they are a picture of what was to come. And in fact, that the substance of all these things is Jesus. So if we have Jesus now, we don't need to worry about new moons and Sabbaths. Yes, I, t I try and take a day of rest every week, but that's not me obeying the Sabbath law. That's not me, you know, going out and do these things. I, my wife and I have been trying to eat healthier. That's not me trying to find a Levitical law. It's just me trying to be a little wiser. My wife really trying to be a little more wiser. You know, uh, verse 2 Corinthians 6, 14, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship is righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion is light with darkness? For the, you know, for the whole Old Testament period, the Jews didn't have any fellowship with the unbelievers. I mean, sometimes they did. They brought the idols in. But at least in their mind, in the law of what God said, they weren't supposed to be close with, with unbelievers. Um, in the same sense, or uh, Gentiles, really. In the same sense, they realize that now the Gentiles, we're going to see, are able to come to faith. Uh, but verse 29, he says, for what reason? You know, Peter knew the circumstance. Peter knew why he was called there, but I think he wanted to hear it from Cornelius's mouth. You know, he still wanted to find out the motive. Like we saw earlier about Simon the sorcerer, what was his motive for wanting the Holy Spirit? It wasn't necessarily the right one. And Cornelius gives us the answer about his prayer, about the angel showing up to him, the instructions, that uh, his faith and his uh, alms, his giving to the community had come up uh, before God. But this is the reason. Cornelius had been praying. Cornelius had been fasting. Cornelius had been serving the Jewish God to the best of his knowledge. And I believe, in a sense, he was probably praying for God. What's this Messiah the Scriptures talk about? Who is this person that the Bible talks about? Maybe he thought it was Peter when Peter showed up. Maybe he thought Peter was God's Messiah that was on earth. Maybe he didn't really know the whole story yet. Um, But it's great that God begins to answer uh, this man's prayer in this way. And, you know, again, I think it's interesting that a centurion was giving such honor to a Jewish ex-fisherman. I think this really uh, presents a picture of who Cornelius was and his devotion to God. That, man, he's this powerful man, but he's willing to have this Jewish old fisherman come in his house. He's willing to bow down before this fisherman. This man was not caught up. His priorities 
were correct. He was not caught up in um, the ways of the world. And he says here, we are all present before God to hear the things commanded you by God. And that is the heart of worship, faith and seeking God. You know, knowing that um, what the man of God is saying and the words uh, of God are the one, or, excuse me, what the man of God is saying is the word of God. That when we come before God, when we come before uh, a teaching or a radio or um, a Bible class or something where we're coming to church to hear from God. Yes, we know it's just a man sharing the Bible. Yes, we know it's just a man maybe leading worship or just a woman teaching us or a woman's study or whatever it is that we're going to. But when we come there, we come there with the heart of, I want to hear from God today. I'm not necessarily care about exactly who the person is speaking, but I want to hear from God today. And again, it's just a man, but it can be God's words. When you come to listen uh, to the Bible study or you get into a Bible study, maybe it's with a group of people or even here on a Sunday, I hope that we're all here to hear from God. You know, even though I prepared this message and I studied for it, I prayed about it, I wanted to hear from God as I was studying it. Even now, as, as I'm sharing it with you guys, I'm still hoping to hear from God and hear God speak to you guys and myself as well. Because even though I'm the one speaking physically, I hope that it's God speaking spiritually to us through the words of the Bible. Um, but really, when we listen to anything like this, are we listening for God? Are we listening for God? Or are we just kind of listening to, to check the box? And when we pray, are we really asking God for something? Or are we just praying again to check that box? And when we obey God, is it immediately? We see that uh, Cornelius immediately sent for Peter. Peter immediately went with them. It was the next day because it was a long journey and they needed to rest. But they went immediately. Verse 34. Uh, then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. And in every nation, whoever fears him and works for righteousness is accepted by him. The words which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach it to the people and to testify that it is he who uh, was ordained by God to be judged of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. And we'll stop there. You see here in verse 34 that Peter opens his mouth again. Peter opens his mouth. And sometimes I think it's really just that simple. We just need to open our mouth and let the truth come out. We need to open our mouth and let the gospel come out. Sometimes there's a sticky situation in a, in a relationship or at work. And sometimes we just need to open our mouth and say the truth. Sometimes when it comes to the gospel, we don't need to prepare. We just need to open up and say, this is what the truth is. God has given you the words to say. We don't need to go back and, and make a study out of it. We just need to say it. We say sometimes, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. I don't have any words. I'm not a public speaker. I don't, I'm not an evangelist. We don't have to be. We don't have to be. We just need to open our mouth and God will, God will let it come out. Maybe it won't be as clear as you want it to be. But man, God will let the truth come out. I think of a, a good friend of mine um, who has a stuttering problem. And 
you and I might call it a problem. He doesn't really see it as a problem. He, God uses him to lead worship and he can sing. You know, there's that weird, uh, interesting uh, correlation there. But he loves to share the gospel. This guy goes out and shares the gospel and he'll stutter and people look at him funny, but he shares the gospel in love and he's one of the most loving guys I know. And man, I, I can speak normally, you know, at least physically. Maybe my words come out funny. Maybe I've got a weird uh, sayings that I do. I mean, he's not ashamed of the gospel. I think so many of us have such an easy way to speak and we don't speak. And then other people who God has uh, allowed to have these uh, impediments in their life that we might see as impediments, um, he uses them greatly um, and it's as an inspiration. But he says, verse 35, in every nation, in every nation, we think, man, God wanted to do this in every nation. We look back to guys like Melchizedek. Where did he come from? Abraham paid tithes to him. Even Abram, he wasn't Jewish. He brought him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He, there was no such thing as Israel or Jews then, and God called Abram. Um, you know, we look at other guys. We look at Noah. We look at their descendants. You know, it wasn't until their descendants that they, they became Israelites. Um, but they say that the, who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. It's a touchy subject here, this, this mix of works and this mix of fear. You know, James 2.17-24 through 24 says, um, Thus also faith by itself if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Um, but do you uh, want to know, O foolish man, what faith without works, that faith without works is dead? You know, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac a son on the altar? Do you not see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. Um, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works, not by faith only. We think of people like Rahab, you know, the harlot, uh, uh, Jericho. She has faith. God saves her. Um, Ruth is brought into the family of God. Nebuchadnezzar even at one point gets saved. Um, the Ethiopian man we read about recently, or even the thief on the cross. If he was being put on a cross... Um, by the Romans, maybe he was Jewish, maybe he wasn't. But again, we see that God was reaching out to all peoples, but it was through the Jewish people. Israel was God's picture to the world. It was their chosen vessel to bring the world to him. You know, John three sixteen. we all know that. For God so loved the world. God so loved the world. And again, it wasn't that God loved the Jewish people more per se. They were the apple of his eye, um, but they were his instrument. They were his chosen people to bring the Messiah but what was the point of the Messiah? Not just to save the Jewish people, but to save the entire world. So in a sense, God cared about these other nations. Um, he just treated, treated them, in a sense, differently because that's the way the picture was shown. But people were given an opportunity. There's, there's rules in the law about having someone over for Passover or allowing someone to come into the Jewish faith who's not physically Jewish. So God's heart was for the world, but he had to do it through a certain system, through the people um, of Israel. But today, that system, those people, is the church. It's not an ethnic group. It's a spiritual group. Um, you know, because the stay in Judaism, in, uh, you know, Hebrew culture and Hebrew faith, is to not believe in Jesus. If you want to believe in just the Old Testament or just the Jewish scriptures and things like that, but not put your faith in Jesus, you've missed the whole point of it. You've missed the fulfillment of it. And so God says that, hey, that's not it. You know, Jesus is the image of God. Jesus is the image of God. And Jewish people, the nation, the laws, gave us the works of God and the word of God. The church is the earthly fulfillment of God um, through the nation of Israel, all people. That Israel, 
fulfilled through the Messiah now becomes the church. Now we can all become the people of God through faith. And the church is the picture of God's grace, his bride. You want to see what God loves? Look at the church. And what does God love? Messed up, broken, crazy, sinful people. Um, and he wants to make us uh, beautiful and ready for the wedding. But it says here that God was with Jesus. You know, John 10, 37 through 38 says, Jesus says, If I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, through, though you do not believe me, believe in the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And again in John 21, 25, And there were also... There are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. That man, God was with Jesus, and the evidence was in the things that Jesus did. Jesus wasn't just claiming to be God. His life, his works showed that he was God. It didn't make him God, but it was the evidence that he was God. And it says in verse 39 that we are his witnesses. But that's all Peter knows who he is. He's just, I witness these things. I didn't do anything special. I just saw God working through Jesus. I saw God working through Jesus. And I think that that's what we need to be too. That man, when we witness God doing something, when we believe and that belief is our witness, that's all we have to share with people is I believe because I've seen it. The Bible says it. It's true. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in others. You know, we're not anything special because we see something. You know, there was a major accident on the way home um, uh, from New Jersey at work there and I, and we were sucking bumper bumper traffic for over like an hour and a half. And it was this major accident with trucks and just mangled and horrible. Um, but really all we were were witnesses to it. You know, we didn't even see it happen. We just drove by and saw the wreckage and, you know, I could explain some of it to you, but I don't really know what happened. And that's the same thing. It doesn't make me a first responder. It just means I saw what happened. That's the same thing with the scriptures, the Bible, man, we see what happens. It applies. It's uh, applicable to our life. That's all we need to be. We don't need to, to make it stand on its own. We don't need to try and necessarily prove the Bible right or wrong. I mean, apologetics is good. But simply, we just need to simply share. This is, this is what we believe. This is what we've seen. It says they killed him by hanging him on a tree. And then again, that the cross is the crux of this, that God showed him openly. And this was the, the openness of God, that he would be on the cross for all to see. He would be on a Roman cross for everyone to see. And that he was open. That this is for the world to see this happening. This is for the world to see. You know, it's interesting that God had all these things happen when the Roman Empire was huge. When Latin and Greek, the, the languages of the time, had reached the entire known world. That Rome had influence on the known world at the time. That Rome had, you know, God does these things on purpose. He does these things on purpose. You know, Jesus didn't come at any other time in history. Not that God needed the Roman Empire. It could have been another empire. But, but God used it because in his perfect timing... It facilitated the spread of the gospel. And even Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations at the end of Matthew, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, you know, teaching them to observe all the things that I commanded you. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. That he wants them to go to make disciples of all the nations. That one of the last things Jesus said to them was make disciples of everybody, the Gentiles. And I think that maybe they didn't get it. God made it clear before he left. And they still didn't get it, maybe. You know, um, that the gospel of God's love is for everyone. And I think maybe that the disciples had been reluctant or maybe forgot the point. And that's why God began to, to do this work through answering this Gentile soldier's prayer. Uh, for time, we won't turn there, but if you want, write down Romans 9, um, specifically 24 to 33, and Romans 10. Read those. You can read Romans 9 and 10 in those areas later, and it's gonna, I think it's going to be an interesting 
uh, uh, light on this area that we're in and, and these scriptures and the, the context that they're in. Um, but that all it takes is faith to believe. All it takes is faith. They didn't have to go through this whole Jewish system. They just needed faith. Whoever believes. Romans 10, 9 and 10. And, you know, you read these chapters and you think about this section of Scripture, and I think it really puts it in a different context, that um, it really doesn't matter who we are or where we're from or what we've done or what we haven't done, you know, that we don't have to do anything to come to God. God did it already. We just need to witness it and believe it. You know, God just wants us to come and to be forgiven and to have our sins removed. God doesn't want us to have to do anything special. He just wants us to hear the word. Um, and this word uh, remission in verse 43, um, it means to release from bondage or imprisonment, forgiveness or a pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed, the remission of penalty. And I think we tend to use that word for cancer. I mean, many of us know people have had cancer or maybe we've had cancer. That cancer goes into remission. And I think, at least in my mind, I'm no doctor, that that idea is, hey, it's gone away, but we still have this kind of fear that maybe it will come back one day. And that's not the same way with our sin. When God has taken our sin away, it's gone. You know, Psalm 103, uh, 10 through 14. Um, you know, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. You know, God's dealt with it. God's taken it away. We don't need to do anything to make ourselves right before God. Um, when we receive that forgiveness, we need to walk in righteousness. But until we've received that forgiveness, there's really nothing we can do to, to cleanse ourselves. Let's go on and read these last few verses here. Uh, while Peter, verse 44, was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on all the Gentiles also. For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized, who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. You see here that while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon these people. God didn't wait for Peter to be done with the message to do this work. God was excited to answer these people's prayer. God was excited to fall upon these people, I believe. But that says that God moves at the right time. You know, it's been said that God never interrupts himself. You know, uh, but I think he's very coordinated. Very coordinated. You know, there's a, a reason to do worship services in an orderly fashion, um, to not be screaming out and jumping out in the middle of a Bible teaching because God's not going to interrupt himself like that. God's speaking through, uh, hopefully through the gift of teaching and the Holy Spirit in the Bible. Um, but really, um, it just doesn't have to happen at the end of the service. You know, I was watching a good message from Joe Foch yesterday at a pastor's conference um, from 2014. It's on YouTube if you just look up Joe Foch. I think it's like the first result. Uh, but he was talking about these guys who, man, people just started showing up at the beginning of service for the altar call. He had been given altar call for weeks and nothing was happening. And then people just started showing up. And he's like, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, kind of this whole, um, this isn't the right order here. Uh, but man, God's going to do things in his timing. God's going to speak and move in your heart and my heart and others' hearts. And it's going to be in his perfect way, in his perfect timing. And it says here that as this began to happen, that those of the circumcision were astonished. These people who were of the Abrahamic covenant, who had uh, uh, mutilated their bodies in a sense um, uh, to show that their adherence to this covenant, they were astonished. They didn't get it. God fell on us because we're the Jewish people. Yeah, I get that they can be saved, but the Holy Spirit falls on them too. The Holy Spirit's going to work in their lives. Aren't we the Jewish people? 
Um, but again, for hundreds and thousands of years, uh, they thought the Gentiles were dogs. You'd be defiled again, like we talked about, for touching one, let alone eating with one or having fellowship with one, like verse 28 talks about, which is what exactly what God is doing here through the Holy Spirit. He's having fellowship with these people. He's having intimate contact with the Gentiles. Um, why would God be doing that? Well, he loves them and realizes uh, that this law isn't the end of it. He said the tongues again, there's native languages, the foreign languages. But really, what was the result of this outpouring? Magnifying God, magnifying God. And when God is moving in ways like this, it's evident. It's evident. You can try and explain it away all day, but really the truth is, is that when God's moving, God's moving. And again, we see that they, they want to be baptized right away. They want to be baptized right away. They think that that's great. You know, we schedule baptisms, you know, at churches and we'll say, we'll have one in the spring. We'll have one in the fall. And I get that. I don't think there's anything really wrong with that. But man, imagine if a hundred people got saved or we all want, got saved today and we want to get baptized. Why wait? Why wait again with the Ethiopian eunuch? Why not? Why not? Um, again, not that there's anything wrong with scheduling it, but if God doing something that big in someone's life, why not let them ratify their faith with their works of baptism? Not that the work saves them, but it's really this outward evidence that there's been an inward change. You know, isn't that a big thing? If even just one person were to get saved, why not baptize them? Why not? But they asked him to stay a few days. And I think, you know, it's, it's because they loved him and they wanted to spend time with him. But I think they also needed some discipleship. All these people in this house now know the fullness of the scriptures, now come to faith in Jesus, the fulfillment of this devout man's faith, um, I think they need a little more scripture. You know, I think if we all got saved and Chuck Smith or, again, somebody big was here that we all looked up to, we'd say, yeah, would you want to stay with us a couple days? Wouldn't you show us some more of the scriptures? Wouldn't you eat with us and fellowship with us? And I hope that's us. When, when we receive from the Lord, when the Lord begins to speak in our lives and pour out in our lives, we say, God, wouldn't you stay with us for a few days? Wouldn't you show us? Things. Wouldn't you continue this in the rest of our day as we go forth from here later? And man, God, wouldn't you continue what you're speaking to me about this morning? Wouldn't you continue it tomorrow morning and this week? And that we would have this constant fellowship with God. Um, and on those notes, again, are we partial? Are we loving? And are we willing? Again, not to lay a trip, but really, I think I, I know I definitely need to analyze my heart and, and take it before the Lord in these areas. But this week, as we go forth, Let's try and maintain that fellowship with the Lord. Um, let's let the Lord increase our faith that we might be witnesses um, into the world. And Father, we ask that this morning, uh, again, and for today and this week, that Lord, you would fill us with your spirit. That God, you would do uh, in your ways and your, um, your timing the things that you want to do in our lives. God, I ask that this week, Lord, if, if we can make it together for prayer, great, together on Wednesday. If we can't make it for whatever reason, God, that we would just be thinking about and praying about uh, different things for our fellowship and our church and our friends and family. And Lord, that we would spend that time with you. God, that we would not lose fellowship with you. You've done so much to make us um, one with you, Lord. And it, you've done so much uh, to make it easy for us to come to you. Help us to remember that and to remember you and to uh, rejoice in that and find rest in that. So God, we ask for rest today. But God, would you just have your way this week? Come soon, we pray. Uh, but Lord, if you don't, uh, help us, God, to be found faithful when you do. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. And